This preaching today is going to be found in John in chapter 14 and 15. It's some of my favorite passages in the Word of God, and uh, I am <clears throat> I'm astonished, I'm thankful that the composure the Lord had when he gave this, these messages, these words of encouragement. Is it on? I'll let you check it. All right. We're set to wire and, and to go. I'll move this over. So I'm very thankful for that, and I'm praying that the Lord would take what he encourage those disciples in that hour prior to the betrayal, but that he would encourage us today. Because the same word of God that was alive and powerful on that evening is the same word of God that speaks to us today. And that will keep and lead us through what God has for us to do while we have the time to work and to do what God has called us to do. But I would like to start with a word of prayer, and then we're going to read... uh, Well, let's read first and then we'll pray. Verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know. And the way. You know, I'm afraid so many today do not know that way. And I pray that today, if you're here and you're hearing the word of God, that you do know. But if you don't know, don't leave this place without coming and finding out what Jesus was saying here. Don't leave without knowing what God has prepared for you for eternity. Father, I pray you would bless your word today. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. God, I thank you that you have come and that you came and you gave of yourself, Lord, to die on the cross, that we could be saved today and that you have preserved your word and the message of of the gospel and that it has the power to save and the power to transform and the power to keep, Lord. I pray that we would be faithful as you call upon us to be witnesses unto you, Lord. I pray that you would give us uh, the peace and the message that is given to them, Lord, in the hours that they would face. I believe, Lord, there's hours that we will need the truths of this message coming our way. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. There's many gifts that God gives men. And I, I will tell you, by far the most important gift is the gift of eternal life through the salvation being born of the Spirit of God. That gift is the most essential and necessary gift that anyone alive who has ever lived has to have heard and received. But to those who have received the gospel and believed it and have received this new birth that Jesus speaks of in in John chapter 3, and they become the child of God through the work of God and being born of the Spirit, God, with his children in this world, has many gifts that he gives. Now, there are gifts of parler en français, speaking in tongues. We're not talking gibberish. 
that was a, speaking in tongues was no language at the time, so that people could hear the word of God with understanding in the language that they spoke. Just so we're clear, okay? I won't go further with that today. There's gifts for music. There's gifts for serving. There's gifts that God gives for the purpose to bless people with, to use us so that he can do his work and his will in this world. But there are some gifts that we have in this chapter I believe we, we can take for granted sometimes. And yet, we come to it sometimes in lives where these gifts take on a new importance. And the first gift I would look at, there's three in this passage I want to be looking at, and the first is peace and comfort. The suicide rate in Quebec is the, probably among the highest in the world right now. They have legalized taking your own life with a doctor now. And quickly since the last year, uh, the stats are showing that the rising, the most increasing way of death for elderly people is suicide. Doctor-aided suicide. And what's the reason? It's because there's a lack of peace. There's a lack of assurance that there's something in life to live for. If you don't have that new birth in Jesus Christ, the only thing man has in life is the physical things of this life. His spirit life is dead before God. He has no relationship with God. He has no fellowship with God. He has no knowledge of God. He's blind to the life of God. So, but when God saves us, he gives us a new life in Jesus Christ. And I, I, I'll just make this parenthesis. God doesn't reform our life. Salvation is not turning a new leaf. Salvation isn't where God is in the, in the restoration business. Uh-uh. We have a new life in Jesus Christ. That life is in Jesus Christ. And we are in him. And in him, there is a great value. We know by the book of Revelations, we know at the end of all times, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess he's Lord. Imagine that God has put me in the life of Jesus Christ. I think we don't think on that enough sometimes. But here in the book of John, he's telling them in verse, chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. And how do you overcome a troubled heart? You believe in God? Believe in me. I hear a lot of people say, I believe. I believe. That's great, but what do you believe? Because what you believe is determining of the peace that God would give you as a gift. And he's saying here, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. The choir just sung of all of this. What God has reserved for us. There's something to rejoice about, something to have peace and comfort over Peace and comfort, can I say when God says, my peace I give you, and we'll be looking at that, that means there will be times 
will be troublesome. Otherwise, the gift of peace is a vain gift. Right? If you're going to give me a jet and no pilot, what's the purpose? Right? Nice jet. Yeah, it never leaves the ground. Peace when you're in a time of trouble. Verse 27 of this passage, he says here, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Wait a minute. How can I receive his peace? Because I'm in him. Being born again, I'm in Jesus Christ. The peace he has, I'm partaker of. Now, I'm still in the flesh in this world until he delivers me from this body. And I struggle with that aspect. But there is a part of my life, because of the new birth, I'm in him. And the renewing of my mind means I need to put my mind back and focus on what I have in him. And one of the great gifts we have in him is his peace. Hey, all the disciples were afraid and the, and the waters were raging and they were bellowing up over them. Water coming in the boat. And doesn't Jesus care? That's a great song, by the way. But you know what? The Lord wasn't worried. The Lord wasn't sweating and feeling more water in the boat than the sea. No, he was at peace. And in fact, the way he rebuked the circumstances was peace, be still. As I thought about this, peace like none other. Peace that can't be found anywhere else but in him. This world is so troubled. I've been getting treatments, medical treatments and stuff. And one of the famous questionnaires is always, what's your mental state? I'm not in here for that. I don't have... No, no, what's your mental state? You know why? Because there's so many people are troubled in their mental state. But mental state is a trouble that comes because of a spiritual problem. And God can take care of that. God can calm that storm. God can say, peace, be still. And as I was thinking about these gifts that God gives us, his children, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth. I don't have to take prescription drugs. I just have to receive what God has given me. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace like none other. Something that we wonder, what do we have to talk to this world about? What, what can I share with this world? Can I say something? Start sharing about this gift. Start sharing with your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers. Just simply the peace that you have in spite of circumstances of life. And it's not, you're a strong person. No, 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 no. I just received something from the one who controls the seas. Peace. 
It requires, though, something of us. And he says it at the beginning of chapter 14 and verse 1. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. It requires belief. But what are we to believe? Belief in what God tells us. Oh, things are just going to get better. I know things are going to get better. That's how the world fights. It's like if they can chant it enough, things are going to get better. Things are going to get better. They're going to convince themselves all of a sudden their troubles are over. The troubles of this world are a continual fact of this world. If today's trouble is over, tomorrow you got a new one knocking at the door. That's not the solution. Our belief in what God tells us. If we don't believe God, we can't receive the peace of God. There is a direct link. You can't walk in unbelief and have peace. And honestly, as a Christian, if I'm struggling having peace of my mind, then I need to go back and ask God, God, where did I stop believing? What part of my life did I allow doubt to come in? What part of my life did I walk away from that assurance you had given me that I held precious and I got distracted with something else? John in 14 verse 10, he says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father? And the Father in me? Well, wait a minute. If salvation brings us in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is in the Father, what better place can we be than in God himself? Believest thou not that I am in the Father? Now, some people, and understand this is true, you can't believe what you have no knowledge of. Therefore, it falls on us as the church commissioned of God to go and give the gospel, the word of God, the message of God, so they can hear to know what to believe. To have the opportunity to know the truth, to see the light, that God wants to open their eyes to. But these men, they did believe. These men were his disciples. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. As a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a son. There's people that we come across in life that face trials and tribulations. And they're, they're disturbed and they're bothered and they have worries and concerns. You heard the expression, I just don't have the words to give. You know what? I took note of what the Lord said here. In this passage that he said, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. When we, God gives us occasion to work with someone who's facing some deep sorrows and trials, we need to be begging God for the words he would have for them and not our words for them. As I... And, and I think if Christians today 
would have the reflex to sit back when we have occasion with the lost people and people who are hurting and people who are suffering and, and facing the serious trials, if we would have the reflex to say, God, I don't have anything to give them. Like Peter told the beggar, gold and silver, have I none? But you can give me the words that they need. You can remind me of the words that they need. This peace that comes from God requires that we believe God. Not that we just know about God, but we believe God. I know the fairy tales. Do I believe them? No. God is not just a fairy tale. It's a, he's a real person. It's a real life. It's not a Santa Claus story. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. And we'll come back to this, but it was interesting that he talked about the words in the beginning, but he ends with the word works. Just change one letter, the D to a K. And Jesus himself, the Son of God, saying, the works I'm doing is not me, it's my Father. And that struck me. What, what does Jesus know that he's imparting to them that I haven't caught on to somehow? The second thing is comfort. Comfort that God alone can give. He's talking about the comfort that he's wanting to. And I'll put this context. I am amazed and I'm thankful the Lord knows fully what's about to happen to him. He's on the eve of his betrayal. He's going to be crucified in, in the most horrible way. A suffering, I, I, I mean, I would be sweating bullets too, you know, if I knew this was coming. And his reaction, his mindset wasn't that, but it was the care for them. And they didn't even experience yet the betrayal to know what was going to happen. Before it even happened, God was already caring and his mind was occupied about taking care of them. Can I believe God? Can I trust God? Well, yeah, if a God like that thinks about me before I even know something happens, and in spite of what he personally could be looking forward to, have to endure, and his mind's on me, yeah, I have reason to be trusting him. Comfort that God alone can give. Some of you have been going through some trials. I hear someone is going through a trial medically, or someone in the family here. I would pray that Today's message would just challenge you and encourage you to remember God knows. He knows the end before it even began. We love God, but it does require comfort that we love God. See, the first verses in chapter 14 are dealing with believing. Verse 10, believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. 
right? But then it transitions in verse 15 to something else. If ye love me, keep my commandments. We have to believe God. I was struck that the order God gave us in his word of these two, these two things that we need to apply in our lives. He dealt with believing before he dealt with obeying and commandments. I can do what God said but not believe him. It's possible. I can do what God said and not believe God. I can't do it out of sins. I'm fulfilling my obligation to God, but not having any bit of expectation that God's going to do something. And I won't receive it, because God said, double-minded man. And then I can say, see, I was right not to believe it. No, I wasn't. Comfort comes when we love God. We love God with nothing between us, and our love for God. Believing God leads us, it will lead us to love God. Because when I believe God, and because of that belief, I step out and I do what God says, and then I see God produce what he promised. Now I'm thankful. Now I have reason to to say, I love you, Lord. I I really needed you, and you did that for me. As I look at this, this order that he gives us, we have to love God with nothing between us. Believing God leads us to love God, and when we love God, we do as God asks or commands. Our obedience allows God to fulfill his promise given to us. If you haven't seen the promises of God fulfilled in your life, there's two probable reasons. First, it's not time. There's a season. Abraham believed God, but he didn't see all the fulfillment that God told him would happen, but it did. Huh? And second of all, I've not been diligent in doing what God told me to do. If I would go and I would look at those two things right off the top, then that would be something that would give me comfort to say, wait a minute, you're worrying for what? You're worrying for what? Our obedience allows God to fulfill his promise given to us, reassuring us that God is faithful. And seeing God's faithfulness, we're comforted by God because we learn we can always trust God. We can always trust God. Chapter 14 here in verse 15, he's saying here, if you love me, keep my commandments. But you can't keep his commandments without love. And it's grievous. It's painful. Because to keep God's commandments will lead us to deny our flesh. And if we love our flesh more than we love God, that's a pretty grievous fraction. As I walk through this, and I'm considering these gifts that God has given us. I look here, he says in verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. So God is not leaving for us to define for ourselves what loving God means. God is telling us, 
You want to know if you love me? You, you know, there's no greater deceit than self-deceit. And God knows that. So God's going to take away the cover of self-deceit and say, Hey, son, here's the thermometer to know if you love me. Here's the thermometer. Put it in your mouth and, and take a measure and see, do you love me? Well, how are you doing by doing what I said to do? Is it painful? Is it disagreeable? Is it disgusting? Distasteful? Well, you got a love problem. All that will go away when you get your love right. He's sitting here and he's telling us that if you love me, keep my commandments. In verse 21, he that hath my commandments, do we have the commandments? Can I say something? Without this. Why you need to be in church and you need to be in the word of God? Because you need to know his commandments. You know why a lot of people don't want to be in church and they don't want to read the God, word of God? <laughs> they, don't throw, they don't want the responsibility of the knowledge of the commandments. No. Come, learn. He says, come, learn of me, for I am meek, I am lowly. Learn of me. Be open to hear what I have to say. Be open to do what I have to tell you, because everything God tells us to do is for our good. God doesn't seek to put on us a burden just like we want to crush an ant for the fun of it. He's telling us, he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. Now we know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So there's a love that's unconditional. But you know what? As a parent, we always love our children. Even when they're despicable. My girls have never been that way, by the way. Do you believe that? But the pleasure of loving my children is much more immense when they're doing things in life that is pleasing and enjoyable to my wife and I. And I believe this is how God sees this when he says, he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. God takes pleasure in our acknowledgement our love, our belief, our relationship towards him. And as he's going through here, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him, love, my friend, is more than emotional or a feeling. Love is lived. I love you, but I never want to be with you. Do you believe that? No. It's lived. It's evident. It, it, it's revealed by the actions that go with the words. In verse 26 to 27, and this is where we came about comfort, but the comforter which is the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. But if I'm not listening to what 
he has told me, then what does the Holy Spirit have to work with to give me comfort by reminding me what God said? If I don't allow the Word of God to have part of my life, there's nothing the Holy Spirit has to work to bring me comfort with. These classes on Monday nights for the, the well, new converts or whatever terms you use for them, discipleships, they're not about a list of to do. It's about how you can grow your relationship with the Lord and see God more real in your life. And the more he's real, the more you have assurance and the more you have comfort and the more you have peace. Something's wrong if you have no desire to learn more what God has done for you. I'm not saying you're lost. I'm just saying something is wrong. There's a love problem. Something else is siphoning the love that should naturally be for God, for what he's done. In Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus is reported there, said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. See, that comforter that he leaves with us in chapter 14 or 26, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So the first gifts that God gives is really one, peace and comfort. They're, this, they're a gift that is a, a combo pack. There's another gift that he gives in chapter 15 here in John. Something that we should cherish and desire, and we should be seeking this gift from God. That second gift God wants to give us is fruit. I wrestled about preaching on the harvest and the remaining fruit today. I was really wrestling, God, what would you have me to preach? But the second gift God wants us to have is fruit. But the fruits he is producing in our lives are not our own. Can I say it builds no confidence in me that if I do something and by the principle of sowing and reaping, I reap something that I did, that I liked, and then I try to say God gave that to me. No. God could have, but there is that principle. But there is fruit that comes that is God alone could do. God and God alone. And that type of fruit is a fruit that builds our trust and our confidence in God. For the fruit from God to be in our lives, we must abide in the life God has prepared and chosen for us. Abiding. So we have believing, we have a proper love, and now we have to abide. Abiding. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. In the beginning, I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman, the branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. How do we abide in him? By his word abiding in us. Through salvation we're put in him. But the living of our life in him is done when we are obedient to the word of God in our life. 
And he's saying here, abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Abiding. Fruits have to come by the word. So it's two things to have fruit. I have to abide in him. Oh, I got saved. Something's really wrong when someone says they want to get saved and they get saved, but then they never want to have anything to do with the life that God has prepared for them. Something is really wrong there. And it's not that it doesn't happen. I think it's more common than we think. But when we do want to abide in him, what will keep us in him? His words. His words. His words will keep us to want to continue abiding. I'm struggling. I'm struggling with the desire to continue to do what I know God wants me to do. So what's, what's the medicine I need to take? Get in his word. Get in the word of God. Let the word of God become real. Allow the word of God to put something in there that the Holy Spirit can take and start working with me. As we continue going through here in this, fruits by the word, without the word, we can't abide in him. 7 to verse 8. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it will be done. What's he talking about? He links abiding and his words abiding. We need, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you. So, is this the salvation? There's a great heresy on this passage. It's pretty common because they talk about the branches being taken away and thrown in the fire. And we had to battle this up there in Quebec in a very serious way. And it's done a lot of damage. But can I ask something of you? The principle that he said here, and this is a parenthesis, every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Where was the branch found? Who gave life to that branch? You know, I have walked woods many, many times. You know what I've never found? A branch that just grew by itself that had no tree. There was life. That branch had life. It never was without, it, it was there. But, it, but you take a branch and you strangle it from being fed from the vine, the fruit that could have been produced ain't there anymore. Not possible anymore. You can be saved, but you can be so negligent of your relationship with the Lord that the fruit of God that he would want to produce in your life, it ain't there anymore. And what's the purpose of your life in this world if it's not going to bear fruit anymore? So what's, what's waiting for the Christian in this world? When God's done with us in this world, you know what's waiting? The mercy seat judgment. It's true. But not where God cast us out under the condemnation of sin. No, it's the mercy seat, the love seat. The things that weren't done by faith, the things that weren't done by God's doing, it's done away with. It won't be remembered anymore. And all we have is what God did in our life. So, third thing, 
As pastor says, we're doing good. We're doing good. Joy, full of joy. I love this one. I didn't get to choose my, daughter, my first daughter's name. Mother-in-law, somehow they have a way of doing that. But I said I'm choosing the second name, Joy. Joy. That's a great gift. The gift of joy. Where would we be without the gift of joy? Joy, full of joy, because of his love for us. He says here in verse 11 of chapter 15, and again, I am awestruck. Here he is knowing what he's going to face. I mean, really, if I knew I was going to be put on the cross and everything, I don't know I would be thinking about Andrew and David and worrying about how you guys are going to feel about your test. I'm pretty sure I would be like, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. I wasn't even thinking praying for you guys. And here he is telling them and concerned for them and saying, you don't know it yet, guys, it's coming. But I'm going to give you these words because when it comes, now the Holy Ghost will take it and he'll remind you and he'll console you. He'll comfort you. He'll give you peace. And yeah, you're going to fail. And yeah, you're going to tumble. And yeah, you're going to have broken hearts. And yeah, you're going to have fear. And yeah, you're going to betray me. But the work of God's not done. Because when God's done with you and he's converted you from yourself and you've realized all that you have And salvation in me, you know what it's going to be? Joy unspeakable. Joy unspeakable. Joy that remains. Verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy. Pastor, I just don't feel joy. Whose joy are you seeking? Yours? You're seeking the joy of the the moment? Are you seeking the joy of the pleasure? Are you seeking the joy of your friends? The joy that remains is a very particular joy, and it's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. He says here, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. You know, they had a good supper. They had a good time. There was a lot of things said. Someone's going to betray you, but they're all together. They're like, wow. They just remembered last week, last Sunday, Palm Sunday, all the Hosanna to the king and all that. Wow. Did you see how they treated Jesus? Not knowing what was about to come. I mean, they're full of satisfaction probably. But he's saying, it's not the joy of this moment. It's not the joy of the circumstances. The joy that's going to remain is the joy I'm going to give you. By my words, I'm going to give you a joy. And as you go through this, he's sitting there and he's saying to them, i find my place here. These things have I commended you. Uh, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. Uh, Sorry, I went to verse 16. I need to go 11. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. 
What steals the joy in the church? I'm almost done. What steals the joy in the church? Paul admonished the church, be careful that you don't devour one another. Backbite, murmur, judging, speaking evil. Those are real joy killers. We're living in a time of great dissatisfaction. And dissatisfaction can spawn fear. Because we're concerned about how things are going to turn out that don't look good. And we can take our eyes off of what is good. We can take our eyes off what God has already done and is doing. And we can become concerned about things of tomorrow when God said, take no thought of tomorrow. Folks, what draws the lost people to want to be in a church? Our joy. Our joy that's real. And if a church loses its joy and visitors come, they're scratching their head and saying, what's the benefit? What do I have to gain? What does God really do? Joy is a fruit. It's a gift. It's a fruit. Joy that remains, in spite of all the context of circumstances, the struggles of life, the discomforts, the heartaches, the heartbreaks, there still can be joy. What things spoken? He read here in verse 12. Let me find my place. I'm sorry here. What things spoken? These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. What things? Go back to chapter 14, verse 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many mansions. This should be a motivation to us. This should be something that underlines God's promise. He won't be with us, but he didn't abandon us. He went to prepare a place for us. The baby's crying. All he wants is mama, but mama knows he's hungry. Now, if she needs to go fix food for the baby, he's going to cry a little bit. But she's got to go do that so that she can satisfy what he's crying for. God is always busy preparing and taking care of the very things that we're going to have need of and that will satisfy us. When I look at this here, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And where I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there, you may be also. These things that are spoken, joy that it should bring that he's coming back for us. When I've been gone to 
Canada for extended times, I can tell my family is really anxious for me to get back. Because my kids no longer are too busy to talk to me on the phone. When I know they want to talk to dad when he calls, then I know, okay, they're starting to miss dad. They want him back. Do you miss the Lord? Are you looking to the day to see his face? To see his handprints and his nail prints for what he's done for us? I do. But I don't want to be meeting him having not done what he's asked me to do. I want to be ready when he comes. I want to be full of joy when he comes, not of, oh boy, he showed up before I thought he would. Loving God with a selfless love produces joy, my friends. You can't have the joy of the Lord and not love God. It doesn't work that way. The more I love my wife, the more my wife produces joy in my life. And that's the truth. I saw and I witnessed an example of love. My mother was 12 years nursing home with Alzheimer's. And every day my dad would go and he would feed her. She didn't. She couldn't speak. She couldn't do anything like that. But you know what? I never saw my dad so desirous to be with my mom when she was home as when she was in the nursing home. Don't mean any offense, Dad. But when she couldn't do for him what she was always doing, his desire grew to be more with her. When God, when we can't do for ourselves in our own eyes, and we see we need God, then the joy of being with God is greater than any time that we can have experienced with God. So why does God allow trials? To make us want and appreciate the presence of God. I am convinced of that more than ever. To bring us to the awareness new and afresh, just what we have in this gift of a relationship with God. That there's nothing in the world comparable, comparable, or that can replace it. And by God's grace, and he gives us that grace, we want it to remain. A joy that remains. Peace and comfort, right? Love. We want that to remain. We want fruit. But the cherry on the Sunday is the joy that God brings when we walk with the Lord. Let's step. Every head bowed, eyes closed. As I said in the beginning, maybe you've never heard from the Word of God what you could do to have life with God. I'm not talking the religious experience. I'm talking the real life, living experience. And it is God's desire. Pastor has said it so many times, and I've preached it to our folks in Quebec. God created man to have fellowship with us. But you can't have fellowship with a dead body. You've got to have life. And God wants to give that to us. If you 
are here today and you don't know for sure that you have life with God. You've never heard how to have life with God. I want to encourage you to make a way and make a decision. I want to know. I would like to learn what has God done and how can I have life with God. But if you are saved here today and you've been born by the Spirit of God, how is your life? How's your walk? How's your joy? How's your comfort? How's your peace? How's your love? And your joy is a bubbling. Father, pray you would bless the message. The word has been given as you only can do, Father. The Holy Spirit can go to work and to bring the understanding and the conviction and the encouragement, the leading that only he can do. But I pray, Father, that every listener here today would not leave without your word producing the effect that you wanted in our lives and in our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.